you're listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times, or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 10 of the Believe in Dog podcast. This is the first episode that I'm recording during the COVID-19 pandemic quarantine, so thank you for joining me today. I'm actually doing something a little bit different with this episode. Um, This actually started out to be the introduction to my next episode when we'll be hearing from Sarah Lauk from the Live Like Rue Foundation, which provides support for families whose dogs have been diagnosed with cancer. And I was going to start by sharing some of the lessons that I learned the hard way from my dogs having cancer. It just got so long that it kind of morphed into its own episode. So today I'll be sharing with you the eight lessons that I've learned from my dogs having mystery illnesses. Now, obviously, I'm not a veterinarian. I'm not a vet tech. I don't think any of this would actually constitute medical advice, but I just wanted to make sure that I was very clear that, you know, this is not official medical advice from any sort of professional. This is a dog mom sharing some lessons that she's learned the hard way in the hopes that you won't have to. So let's get started. In episode one, I talked to you about the story of my Lucy, who made me fall in love with dogs. In a lot of ways, she was my husband Tim's dog. He's the one that envisioned having a female brindle pit bull for years before we ever adopted her. But as much as she was Tim's girl, she was my girl too. And our bond got stronger than ever starting in the spring of 2014, when it became undeniable that something was going on with her health. Although when I stopped and thought about it, I remember that she had this incident in the summer of 2013 where it was really hot one day and we were walking and she kind of fell over and collapsed for a moment, but then jumped back up and when we went inside, she drank a bunch of water and seemed okay. So I thought maybe she was just dehydrated or something. And then I remember all these other mornings during the winter of early 2014 where Lucy wasn't doing her normal routine. And we're definitely creatures of habit in our house, and it always stands out when one of the dogs isn't doing their normal routine, just like it stands out when my husband and I aren't doing our routine either. But I remember there were days when Lucy would stay in her dog bed extra long, even though we were all out in the kitchen, and that was just strange to me, because if there was ever a dog that wanted to be in the kitchen in case she might get food, it was Lucy. But what do you say to your vet and something like that happens? My dog stayed in bed on a cold winter morning. That seems weird. I remember just there was all these like weird little odd things. I remember times where she would go to jump off the sofa and kind of falter. And she had always been such an agile dog. So it seemed strange to me that she was suddenly getting clumsy. But I don't know. She was an older dog. I I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know how to communicate that to a vet in a way that it would sound like 
a legitimate symptom of something. And I don't know if it's because I'm a woman, but sometimes I worry about overreacting. Am I reading too much into something? Am I being a hypervigilant, hyperparanoid, hypochondriac? I, I don't know. I like to think that I'm pretty rational about things most of the time, but I'm also observant. And so I observe when something's going on. And so I guess my first lesson in all of this is you know your dog better than anyone. And if you think something might be wrong, trust your gut. And so here it is, the first nice spring weekend. It was the end of April in 2014. Tim had gotten up and gone out fishing early, and so I was home with Lucy and Kalua and wanted to go out for a nice long walk. And Kalua was suffering with some orthopedic issues, so she had to go on a nice slow walk. So I would take her out first and do a real slow walk around the block and bring her back home and then take Lucy out. And Lucy was like, go, go, go. She was my walk buddy. And I wanted to just take her out for an extra long walk kind of shake the the winter blues out and so we were starting off on this walk doing kind of like an extra long trek that we hadn't done all winter and we're at about the halfway point of our walk and we're walking up this side street that has a bit of an incline of a hill to it and all of a sudden we get to the top of the hill and Lucy falls over and collapses and she wouldn't get back up and I'm trying to get her up you know she's like a 55 60 pound pit bull and I'm, I'm trying to pick her up and she would kind of stand and then kind of fall back over again and I was so completely horrified and terrified I didn't have my cell phone with me I was at about the longest point away from our house on the walk uh, I didn't know how to get you know in touch with anyone and I could literally talk about the adventure of trying to get her home. I'm trying to half carry her, but I can barely carry her. So I would carry her a few steps, try to get her to walk a few more steps. She would fall over again. I would sit down on hope that she would kind of get her strength back up. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what to do. It's literally one of the most terrifying moments of my life when I think about it is I just didn't know what to do. And it took me, I don't even know how long, over half an hour to get her the rest of the way home. Just trying to walk a few steps, carry her a few steps, walk a few steps, carry her a few steps. And I finally get her home and I don't know what's wrong. And I didn't know if she was overheated. I'm trying to get her to drink water. I'm putting cool washcloths on her. And you know, it's, it was like a Sunday. There was no vet office. I didn't know if she needed to go to the emergency vet. And we know that that's never a cheap option. So I just, I literally didn't know what to do. And then she kind of perked back up and seemed like herself and went about her business. And Tim comes home and, you know, he's kind of looking at me like, she's fine. What are you talking about? And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like this really scary, terrifying thing happened. And I, I, I didn't know if she was going to die. I didn't know if she'd fainted. I didn't know what was going on. It was, but now she seems totally fine. And in that moment on that day in April, 2014, I wasn't thinking about all of the past weird incidents that had happened. I didn't think about those till later. And so this is where lesson number two comes in which is keep a journal of your dog's health. Now, I will tell you, I have not been great about doing this because I'm going through something with Penny right now where I wish I had done a better job of keeping track of her symptoms and when things started. 
but it's never too late to start because what I have to do is then sit down and try to think back and do my best guess of filling in the timeline of when did I first notice things. And so this could be anything from something you see on your dog's skin that looks different or shouldn't be there, or even if your other dog accidentally scratched you know, the dog, maybe make a note of that so you can keep track of when it's healing. If it's something in their behavior that just seems a little odd, even if you don't have any other context as to whether it could be something that's actually a health condition or not, I would still say make a note of it. You could do this in, you know, a, like a Word document on your computer. You could just grab an extra notebook and do this. It's something I've actually been playing around with, trying to design my own dog health notebook as a way to keep track of things. So if that's something you'd be interested in, maybe shoot me a message or an email and let me know. Uh, I'd love to get some extra eyes on it to see if it's in a kind of format that other people would consider usable. But basically just document for yourself as much as you can. And even if you're starting from today and trying to remember when things started from a couple months ago, that's okay. Do your best guess, make your notes. You never know when this will come in handy. Just keep track of anything that seems unusual, out of the ordinary, pops up out of nowhere, uh, a lump that you've just noticed, just anything like that, you know, try to keep a note of for yourself and have with you to bring to the vet when you have to talk to them. Because I can't tell you how many times I've been at the vet office standing there trying to remember on the spot. Well, I don't remember when that happened. Um, I think it was, you know, three or four weeks ago or three or four days ago. You'll be doing both your dog and yourself a favor if you have this all written down for the vet. And you should also keep track of what happens at your vet appointments because I'll have this file folder where I'll keep all of my records. But then when I go back, I'll realize I just have like basically a receipt from the vet and I don't actually remember what happened on that date. And so that's another great thing to keep track of in your dog health notebook or your dog health document is the reason why you actually made the vet appointment and then what happened during the vet appointment and what the outcome was. So lesson number two is dog health journal. So now we're back to my poor Lucy. She had this weird collapsing episode on a walk, but then she picks back up and seems like everything's fine. Until a couple nights later, my husband and I are getting ready for bed. Lucy and Kalua were running through the house, chasing each other. We always called it WrestleMania time. And all of a sudden, Lucy kind of rounds a corner to go after Kalua and boom, falls over again. And this time, Tim sees it and goes, oh my God, what's wrong with my dog? And I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Now, this brings us to lesson number three, which I wish I had thought of when I was going through this, but didn't think about it until after the fact. And that is take photos and video if something seems wrong with your dog. So if I had been thinking about it the day that I was trying to walk Lucy and she was falling over and I was trying to get her home, I wish I had had enough foresight at the time to have brought my phone with me and take some video of it. Or maybe you notice something strange pop up on your dog's skin, like a bump or a lump or a wound or something. Take a picture of it. Just always take a picture of it. That way you can compare, is it healing? Is it not healing? Is it getting worse? I don't know. I'm going through this with my dog Penny right now. I'm kicking myself for not having taken photos sooner than I did, but at least now I have photos. We're able to confirm that things are getting better slowly, but surely. 
And in the case of Lucy, I wish I had taken some video sooner so that I could have shown Tim exactly what was going on. And then we could have showed the vet exactly what had been going on because this was now happening sort of unpredictably. But if I had thought about it that first day and gotten some good video of it, I wouldn't have maybe waited until it started happening again to make an appointment with the vet. So lesson number three is to document your dog's health concern by photo or video as much as possible. Because now here we were taking Lucy to the vet and having the situation that I was concerned about, which is she seems totally fine standing here. And we're trying to explain to the vet what happened, that she fell over, that she collapsed, that it's not like an orthopedic issue of her legs giving out. What is it? What was causing this? We'll run some tests, but I don't know, she looks fine. Now, we had adopted Lucy when she was under a year old. They had estimated her age at the time at about eight months. And so we think that she had been born with a heart murmur, or at least ever since we had her, she had had a heart murmur. And if you know anything about heart murmurs in dogs, um, they can be graded from one to six, one being the most mild, six being the most concerning. Lucy's heart murmur had always been stable at a grade two. And the day we go to the vet about these collapsing episodes, uh, they did an EKG and they confirmed that her heart murmur still looked like a grade two at this time. And they were also going to do some blood work, some lab work, and that they would call us with those results the following day. So the following day, I get a call from our vet and he tells us that all of the blood work is totally normal and that these collapsing episodes must be related to Lucy's heart murmur. But that didn't really make sense to me because the EKG he had done, this same vet that I'm talking to on the phone had done himself, had confirmed that Lucy's heart murmur was still the same stable grade two heart murmur that it had been for the past 10 years. And I was trying to ask him, how could a stable heart murmur be connected to these episodes? And his suggestion was for us to go have a $700 echocardiogram to get a better look at her heart and this heart murmur, and I guess make sure that it really was as stable as he was thinking from the EKG results. And I'll be honest with you, I just sort of disagreed with this. I thought $700 was a lot of money to pay for a diagnostic test that wasn't going to give us any real conclusive results. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I was a bad dog owner for not doing this right away, but I decided to sort of take a wait and see approach. But Lucy continued to have these collapsing episodes and it started to get worse. So by June, what had started out as maybe once or twice a week falling over around the house had gone into these more frequent episodes that turned into tremors that could last for a few minutes up to a half an hour. And I later came to find out that these were focal seizures. And my research, and I will admit I was being a little bit of a Dr. Google here, but my research led me to think that it was more likely that Lucy had a neurological problem than a heart condition. And I thought it made more sense to see a veterinary neurologist than to have an echocardiogram. And so I called our vet to find out if we could get a referral to a veterinary neurologist, but because we had not followed his directions and obtained the echocardiogram, they refused to make the referral that we needed. So I was able to find another veterinary neurologist who didn't require a referral. So by the time we were able to get an appointment with the veterinary neurologist, 
Lucy's tremor episodes had now graduated into full-on grand mal seizures. There is nothing worse in this world than watching your dog have a seizure. It sounds terrible. The very first time it ever happened, it woke us up. It happened around four o'clock in the morning and we woke up to just this terrible sound. It sounds horrible. It's horrible to watch. But once again, I wish I had had the foresight to take some video of it because when we went to see the veterinary neurologist and I was explaining about her tremor episodes and then her having this grand mal seizure, he was actually questioning me to describe it as if he didn't believe me that I knew what a seizure was. Now, maybe that was not his intent, but that was definitely how it came across. And so once again, we were in this situation of Lucy seeming totally fine as she goes to see this veterinary neurologist. I unfortunately did not have any video to show him of the episodes that she had been having, and their best guess was that she had a brain tumor and it was going to cost $2,000 to have an MRI done of her brain to confirm whether that was the cause of these episodes or not. And this was a really awful, horrible, terrible decision that we had to make because $2,000 was pretty much about the whole budget that we had for treating this. So if we spend our whole budget just trying to diagnose it, then that leaves us nothing left to try to treat her. And even if it is a brain tumor, there might not be much that we could do. In the end, we decided against having the MRI done because it was going to involve her staying overnight at a vet hospital in a kennel before going under anesthesia, and it seemed like night times were the worst for her with having her focal seizure episodes and her grand mal seizure episodes, and the idea of her alone in a vet office at night in this crate having some kind of episode was just honestly horrifying to me to think about and I just I couldn't I couldn't do that and so lesson number four is that it's okay to say no it's okay to disagree with your vet about what to do next your vet might be pushing you to do a diagnostic test maybe you don't have the money for it maybe you don't want to put your dog through it and that's okay maybe you just can't do it on the timeline that your vet wants to at the end of the day, you are the decision maker for your pet's health. I've definitely been in situations where I have felt pressured or maybe even a little intimidated about disagreeing with my vet. I've definitely been in situations where I've felt guilty that maybe I couldn't do what they wanted to for financial reasons right at that time. And so sometimes I have to prepare myself in advance with phrases like, I'll take this under advisement. I'm not ready to do this today. I want to look into this further before I make a decision. You could say, I have to wait for my next paycheck, or I have to run that by my husband first. I can imagine that my husband would probably hear that and laugh hysterically when he hears that because our relationship dynamic doesn't really work like this. But if you're a non-confrontational kind of person, sometimes it's just easier to use an excuse like that. So after we saw this veterinary neurologist, it seems like he sent his record of our visit to our original vet, and we got a call from our vet office about Lucy now having full-blown seizures, and they wanted to put her on the medication called phenobarbital, which is very common for epilepsy and seizures in dogs. And 
I went to the vet office to pick up the phenobarbital and I don't know how to explain this other than to just say I just felt like this was not the right thing to do. Like a gut feeling or gut reaction. I know that that is not based on anything, that that's not good medical sound advice, but I was just struck by this overwhelming feeling of this is not the right thing for my dog. And so lesson number five is that it's okay to get a second opinion or a third opinion or a fourth opinion. I just remember thinking that it didn't seem like anybody was really being all that thorough into looking into what was going on with Lucy. I contacted someone I know who was into more alternative veterinary treatments for their pets. And I asked them who was the best vet to go to who would be thorough and really look at everything going on with Lucy and the name of the vets that she gave me were over an hour drive from our house, but I didn't hesitate for even a minute. I just called them right away. I remember I was probably in tears and maybe a little um, hysterical <laughs> trying to talk to them, and they were so wonderful. They put me right on the phone with one of the veterinarians. I explained everything that was going on and said that I just wanted to know what our options were and be really clear about what was the proper diagnosis for our girl. And this veterinarian office, they were so lovely, they were able to get me in the next day, and they asked if I could get a copy of Lucy's medical file from our original vet office so that they could have everything to look at when we came for our appointment. And so I immediately went back up to our vet office, asked them to, you know, photocopy Lucy's whole file, and made sure that we took everything with us when we went to this new holistic vet office. And I remember thinking at the time that I got a copy of Lucy's file and I was, you know, curious. I was just flipping through to see what was in there because she had been going there for 10 years at this point. And I realized I had never seen a lot of these records before. I had never seen her blood work results. I had never seen various lab reports or various notes that the veterinarians had made. And so that brings us to lesson number six, which is that you should always get a copy of your dog's blood work results for your own records. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a website I found that explains what all the different blood work values mean. And even if you don't exactly know what the numbers mean, you can still flip through your dog's results from, you know, year to year and just see if any of the numbers have changed drastically. Because sometimes even if they're in what's considered like the normal range, you might find that the numbers have gone from a high end of, of the range of normal to the low end of the range of normal over a period of time. And that might be good information for you to have. And I know that veterinarians are amazing people who do amazing work. They're responsible for evaluating the health conditions of several different species of animals, which I can't even, you know, imagine. But sometimes they might just look and see, oh, something's in the normal range without realizing that, well, it's actually very different from six months ago or a year ago when it was at the opposite end of the normal range. And that might just be good information for you to have. I wish that I was somebody who was organized enough to put all this type of stuff into a spreadsheet, um, but I'm not that organized. <laughs> um, I just kind of have to flip through and look for myself to see where the numbers fall in the range over time. And so how this really factored into getting Lucy diagnosed was we took all her medical files and lab work results to this new vet who sat there and looked through everything and said, oh. Did you know that Lucy's blood sugar value was a little low when her lab work had been run at the beginning of May? Well, no. 
No, I did not know that. I remember getting a call from our vet's office saying all her blood work was fine, but it turns out that her blood sugar value was technically on the low side, not by very much. I think her value was 57 and low is anything under 60. So it was technically in the low range. And when you compared it with all the results she'd had of her blood sugar on previous tests, 57 was significantly lower. And as it turns out, there is a form of cancer called insulinoma, and it is a cancer of the pancreas, specifically the beta cells in the pancreas, which create insulin. So what happens in the disease of insulinoma is it's sort of like the opposite of diabetes. The cancerous cells create so much insulin that the insulin goes sky high and forces the blood sugar to critically low values. And when blood sugar values are critically low, it can cause seizures. And after doing some additional blood work, we found out that this is in fact what Lucy had. This was what had been causing her seizures. And if we had given her the phenobarbital, it would have killed her because it was not the right treatment for her illness. Sometimes I got really frustrated when I would look back and think, well, if someone had just called us and said, hey, her blood sugar value looked a little low, can you come back in for a repeat test? Maybe we wouldn't have been suffering with three months of being up half the night and wondering what was going on with my dog, why she wouldn't stop convulsing and having these tremors, which then led into full-blown seizures where she would urinate or even defecate and be foaming at the mouth and then wander around our house aimlessly for sometimes hours afterwards. There were times when we were afraid to leave the house because we didn't know what was going to happen or when something was going to happen. But what I do know is that in those months, Lucy and I became closer than ever. And there were times when I was her go-to person if she wasn't feeling well. And I would start to recognize the signs if she started having low blood sugar and was stumbling around. And I could get her some honey and then get some food in her real quick to raise her blood sugar values. And for that whole last year and a half of her life, uh, we became closer than we ever were. And I'm so incredibly grateful for that time. So now we're at the seventh lesson learned was the importance of self-care, even when our dogs are suffering. Let me tell you, those months of May, June, July, even into August, once we had the right diagnosis, but we're still trying to get her medication and treatment plan worked out, those were some rough months for me. I didn't get great sleep a lot. Nighttime was usually hard for Lucy. Uh, there were times I would have to set my alarm for the middle of the night and get her some extra food or give her some medication to help keep the blood sugar up overnight. And before we had the diagnosis, there were times when she would just be like convulsing and shaking and tremoring half the night. And I would just be laying on the floor next to her and not knowing what to do and just hoping that we would get some kind of, you know, proper answer soon. Um, you know, I work a regular nine to five type job. So when I don't get great sleep, it sometimes means I'm in not great shape at work the next day. And there was actually a few times when I kind of dropped the ball at work because I was just kind of still bleary and out of it from not having slept well. And my boss was so wonderful and actually let me work from home for a period of time while we were going through all this with Lucy. And I know that I'm very, very fortunate to have been in a position like that. And it wasn't just sleep that was suffering. My diet was suffering because 
we were exhausted and not cooking and eating junk and eating from restaurants every single night and ordering takeout and it was just it was an exhausting period of time i know i wasn't doing very much exercising we weren't even really able to walk lucy very much sometimes because of her blood sugar you know a lot of physical activity would make her blood sugar level drop um it was a really hard time and and my health and well-being definitely suffered during that time and you know when i look back i just really think that's the one thing that I could have done better in all of this. I was doing everything that I could for Lucy, but I really wasn't doing a good job taking care of myself. And sometimes we might have to go through a period of time where we have to make certain, you know, time or energy sacrifices. But, you know, to go months and months and months like that was just terrible. And, you know, I really wish I had done a better job of um, prioritizing my own, you know, health and well-being and self-care during that time. And so now that brings us to the last lesson learned is just to truly appreciate that every day you get with your dog is a gift. You know, dogs have just been such a great teacher for me about living in the moment and appreciating each day and being fully present. Having your dog get a terminal diagnosis will really make you start appreciating every single belly rub, every single tail wag. And it's even better if you can appreciate all of these before you even know your days are numbered. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll review again real quick the eight lessons that I learned from my dog having a mystery illness. Uh, number one is you know your dog better than anyone, and so you'll know if something seems off or odd about their behavior, or if there's a new lump or bump or something concerning in their appearance. Lesson number two is to keep a journal of all of these oddities that you might notice in your dog. That if any time something seems unusual in their behavior, if you do notice a new lump, a new bump, a new wound, to write it down, make sure you make a note of the date, make sure that you take notes about what it is that you noticed that was unusual. And this can be just done in a simple journal or notepad, or you could even create like a Word document for your dog to keep track of just anything that ever stands out to you about being unusual or is a change. Number three is to use photos and videos to document these changes. So again, if you see something new that pops up on their skin, take a picture of it. If there's something strange in their behavior or the way they're walking, take some video of it, especially if it's something that's intermittent, because inevitably they'll be fine when you take them to the vet for this reason. Lesson number four is that it's okay to say no when you're working with your vet. You are the decision maker, you are the consumer, and these are your choices to make. And sometimes we do unfortunately have to make decisions based on our current financial ability. It might mean you have to delay something that needs to be done, whether you want to or not. Or maybe you just disagree with your vet's decision on something. It's okay to say no or to wait until another time. Which leads us to lesson number five, which is that it's okay to get a second opinion or a third opinion or even more. It's okay to go to a specialist. It's okay to go to a holistic vet. It's okay to go to a veterinary teaching hospital. It's always okay to get another opinion. Lesson number six is to get a copy of your dog's blood work results and any other lab results for your own records. 
and I'll put a link in the show notes that will explain to you what the different blood work values mean. And I also suggest that you not just get a copy, but that you review them over time to see if anything has changed. Because even if something is in the normal range, it might move from one end of the normal range to the other end, which might be the beginning of something that's a concern. Lesson number seven is to make sure to take care of yourself. Even if you're going through a stressful time, it's always important to prioritize your own health and well-being and diet and exercise because you can't take care of anyone else if you're not taking care of yourself first. And then that brings us to lesson number eight, which is to live in the moment and appreciate every day with your dog for the gift that it is. Now, again, I'm not a veterinarian. I'm not even a vet tech. I don't even play one on TV, but these are some lessons that this dog mom has learned the hard way. Um, Like I said, I've, I've been going through some issues with my girl Penny over the last few months, and I'm kicking myself again because I've, I knew some of these things and I didn't do a good job of them. But I hope that these will be lessons that will help serve you well in taking care of your own dog. And so that's it for this week's episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. If you think some of this information might be helpful to someone that you know with a dog, I appreciate you sharing on social media or telling a friend. Uh, Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast for free so that you won't miss an episode. And I always appreciate if you go under the Apple Podcasts app and leave a rating or review because those really do help more people find us. So until next time, this is Erin Scott sending hugs and belly rubs from an appropriate 6 to 10 feet social distance, of course. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and stay home with your dog. Mm -hmm.